Welcome to episode 144 of In The Move Podcast. I'm Peter Shepherd, And I'm Callum Reid. Hi. Hi. Tiny stumble there on your name. Mm. Yeah, f- keep on forgetting who I am. <laughs> um, we usually say like a foreign name. Mm. Well, that was just last week. We did like, yeah, but you've done that before. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how playful my mood is. <laughs> um... I- we're not doing this tomorrow night for a very good reason, I imagine. Mm, well, yes, the best of reasons. Because you're probably going to be wrecked. <laughs> uh, and in it's the always midst, possible. In the midst of celebrations, maybe. Mm, maybe. And with Chelsea's glorious triumph. Yes, we should be about three. We should be one win away that by that point. I would have thought. Are you not? Is it not dependent on tomorrow? Um, we've got to win. T- no, we've got to win tomorrow. And if and on, if we'd have beat Arsenal, we could have won it t- tomorrow. Um, uh, now if we win this one. We've got to. We just got to get. Uh, yeah, we've got to get a, a winner. After, after to, if we win tomorrow, we only need one more win. Okay. Or someone else to lose. Well, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, have you got any other sporting news? Anything major happen this week? Nadal losing to Fognini on clay. Oh my word. On clay? Yeah. I mean, I know Fognini. Fognini is like a 30 to 40 in the world type player, so he's a clay court specialist, so he's like a 10 to 15 in the world on clay, but come on. That's Child plays. Does not board well for the French Open? No, it does not. Well, it bodes well for someone other than Nadal winning it for once. It'll probably still be favourite. Mm. 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 Um, anything else? Anything mm, striking this week? Not really. Okay. All right, so let's get on to um, some other news. There's been a couple of deaths in the film world. Mm. Firstly, Richard Corliss died. Do you know Richard Corliss? Oh, rings a bell. He uh, wrote for Time magazine, critic. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, 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 I do remember, yeah. And he uh, started Film Comment, the magazine. Um, mm. Not a massive fan of that, but whatever. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm sure it's changed a lot since he was started mm. it, but yeah, yeah. Um, so he was really big in the critic world. Also, the uh, Andrew Lesney died, who is the Oscar-winning cinematographer of Lord of the yes. Rings. Yes, yes, really. How old was he? Fifty-nine. He had oh, a God. heart attack. Oh my God. Mm. So that's really sad news. I mean, how do we feel about Andrew Lesney's Oscar win? In the obviously that'd be too critical if you were going to be critical. <laughs> well, if well, he won for the trilogy. Let's ask. Did the film? Well, did, well, did he? Uh, he did the more. He had an award for cinematography for First of the Ring. Apparently, it says here on Wikipedia. Um, oh, he won it. Oh, okay. That's a good shout then. Only well, nominated for the first one. Let's have a look at this. That's interesting. Why would he only be nominated for the first one? I think he's won for the first one. That was it. Hang, hang on, let's have a look. Let's get it up. Won for First of the Ring. 
That's it. Why would he only be nom- Oh, I see what you mean. Why would he only be nominated for the first one? Well, 2003 was great in general for mm. cinematography. Um, and also, I suppose, that is a strange one, to be fair, though. I mean, if you look at... Um, well, that could have been 12 wins if that had been nominated. Yeah. Well, I suppose if you uh, if you look at uh, the nominees from that year, City of God was shoehorned in there. Girl with the Pearl Earring is gorgeous. So is Cold Mountain. The the random one is Sea Biscuit getting in there. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I, I things I I don't I, I like Master and Commander as a technical marvel, but I don't think the cinematography is especially its strong point. I think it's more uh, that's more uh, editing. Was there Lance Accord overlooked? I imagine he was. Mm. Lost in mm. translation. It's beautifully yeah, yeah, shot. Yeah. I mean, sea Biscuit is just that. That seems such a random one, but they've got. I mean, I don't, they've got three of the ones in there, which are really, uh, yeah. You can't. You go. You hit here though. That city got a cold mountain, but gold pill and go. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could not. You could probably argue on quite a few ones for that last spot. Um, assuming it was the last spot. I mean, Mystic River is very nicely put together. House of Sand of Fog is gorgeous. Yeah. Utterly gorgeous. Um, so, I mean, is, that's. Is Hero just, that year, or was Hero the year after? Um, Hero was probably. Uh, probably wasn't eligible because it was nominated uh, the year before in foreign language. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Um. Yeah, but that's that's very sad loss. Also, did King Kong, of course, which looks really good. Mm. Um, well, it looks it, it, the, the the trouble with King Kong now is the special effects look poor on a small screen, but at the time they look great on the big screen. When you look at what he what he won, I mean, first of the ring beat uh, uh, Black Hawk Down, Amelie, Man Who Wasn't There, and Moulin Rouge. Man Who Wasn't There is just well, awesome. Deacons, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Moulin. Yeah. I think most people, mo- I think most people that I've seen online would probably plumb for Amelie for that one. I would have thought because uh, I think Amelie's more of a feat of set production design mm. for me, and it's more more about the colours. Um, mm. I mean, I mean, of course, I mean, of course, of course, of course. I mean, we're, we're really just talking about. <laughs> we're not deliberately only talking about American films for these. Just these, are just the ones that had a chance at the Oscars. I mean. Obviously, there are other films out there, which look really nice. But yeah, talk to her. Did talk to her not get a cinematography nomination? No, I think that was one screenplay, and uh, I think that was it for the. Uh... Did it win screenplay? Oh, that's a different year. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's two thousand two, isn't it? Yeah, next year. Uh, that was the year of. Um, uh... I thought I was going to say you two, Mama, but obviously not. Okay, um, so that was a little <laughs> detail. Um, so next, uh, that's the end of the deaths. Denis Villeneuve, um, who's it's every week, it's every week. Um, who you don't like hmm. is going to direct the, the sequel to Blade Runner. Now, this is something else we don't get to talk about. Is this because you haven't seen Blade Runner? I have seen Blade Runner, yeah. Well, why don't we talk about it very often? No, it's this a... can't be asked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you not like Blade Runner? No, I think it's fine. I like uh, it. I, I I think it's fine. It's just it's I I never really mention it in terms of when you're just dealing with um, uh, visual futuristic visuals. That's the only time I ever really mention it. Okay. 
Well, yeah, it's very ahead of its time in that way. Very much so, and very, uh, uh, I don't want to say ripped off, but yeah, um, influential in that respect. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have more news about Cannes. Um, more films have been added. Love, the new film from Gaspar Noé, um, mm. which I just linked you to the poster. Pathetic. One of the two posters, both of which are very salacious. Um, it's four hours. It's three D. It's shaking my head. Very clearly pornographic. Yeah. Um. So he's, he's he's a provocateur. He's worse than Trier in this respect. He just wants to have something shocking in order to get people talking about it. In order to get people through the door. Yeah. And he, to, this, is, I mean, this is the man who tried to persuade Monica Bellucci and um, Vincent Cassell to actually have sex on screen. Uh, in irreversible, just so that they could use that as a marketing ploy. What do you think of him visually irreversible? I'm, I'm assuming irreversible is the only one you've seen. No, I've seen um, Into the Void as well. Enter the Enter the Void. I think for like thirty, forty minutes, it's the best thing I've ever seen. Because <laughs> it's so good. Like up until the death, mm. and then after it, it just. It's just nothingness. It's just swirling and yeah. I just think it's just swirling. It. <laughs> I, I think it's just random incoherence. <laughs> um, so I, I think I think it's incredibly boring uh, cinematography. It just doesn't do anything for me. Okay. Uh, also added that you're going to have to say this guy's name. The director of Uncle Boon Me. Oh, uh, I just found a sketchful. That's the one. Uh, <laughs> spring that one on me after three beers, thank you. <laughs> His new film, Cemetery of Splendour, has been added in uncertain regard. That's interesting that he couldn't get it in competition. Given that he's won the Palme d'Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, bit of a slap in the face, but you know. Mm. So we shall look forward to that one. Um, and the jury has now been finalised. So, right. along with the coins, we have Guillermo del Toro. I just sneeze, thank you. <laughs> nice. <isn't it>? <laughs> <laughs> Is that involuntary? Uh, no, I just, uh, I, I just leaned, I knew it was coming, so I leaned down to turn off the uh, volume. <laughs> uh, we have Rocchia Treore, who is a composer, female mm. composer. Mm. We have Sienna Miller. How do, how do we feel about this? This is random. See, the thing is, you get all these people in the room, you don't have a clue what's going to happen. No. Jake Gyllenhaal. Right. Xavier Dolan. Going for young, then. Sophie Marceau. Random. And... You've got to have someone French. Another actress, Rossi De Palma. Don't know. Um, she was she's Spanish. So the directors are Del Toro and the Coens and oh, she's it. in Almodovar right. stuff. Time you up, time you down. Woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Broken embraces. Okay. Yeah, so it's um, yeah. Just the two directors. Just the two, yeah. Well, three. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, yeah, four. Dolan. Oh, Dolan. Oh, right. Okay. Whatever. Interesting aside, um, Xavier Dolan, in an interview a couple of years ago, 
claimed that he has masturbated over Jake Gyllenhaal's photograph. I bet he has. So that should be interesting. <laughs> Under the table. <laughs> That'd be a decent chap on, I suppose. Wouldn't be, wouldn't, wouldn't be weird. Wouldn't be that forward either for a gay chat of line. <laughs> <laughs> just, just run of the mill. Just go up to... No, stop. Come on. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just going to say, go up, take a picture, take a picture of someone's face and just, and just say, it's all right, this, this will sort me out later. <laughs> okay. Um, right, uh, I just wanted to mention, last bit of news, the Derby Film Festival, God. which is going <laughs> to, which is happening um, first two weeks of May. Um, mm-hmm. And we, you are going to um, check out Hopefully, some, some of it. Some of the uh, the options. Evenings. The evening options, yeah. Yeah, because it's near you. Um, it's not that there. <laughs> and they've got a few interesting options. They've got the tribe, which we was on our radar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a film called Le Combattant, uh, which has got Cezanne noms last year. Yep. It's got Timbuktu, which got the Oscar nom. It's got. Uh, the new Mia Hansen love film, which I'm sure I noticed be that all over that, that that did pique my interest in one way or another. <laughs> um, the, it's got the new Ozone film, the new girlfriend, and weirdly, it's got the sequel to Hope and Glory from John Borman. Didn't know there was one, which is called Queen and Country. I had no idea that existed. Mm. It's a long time to have waited to do a sequel. Considering no one remembers that film. Well, it's very dreary. Hmm. But, you know. So, yeah. Um. Yeah, so. Yeah. If you're in the area, check out the Derby Film Festival. Hmm. Jack O'Connell's Homeland. Yeah, funny. The website is derbyfilmfestival.co.uk. Awesome. Alright, uh, preconceptions. Right, this week we're doing The Avengers, Age of Ultron, Stoner's style, The Falling and The Good Lie. Ultron um, kind of reminded me of tights. Feels like it, it would be like a premium tight. Or um, some kind of um, sanitary towel. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, let's not go there. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, preconceptions for Avengers. Oh no, wait, what else have we got? That's the order. Avengers, so the Silent, the Falling, and the Good Light. Okay. Preconception mm. for Avengers. Uh, wasn't a fan of the first film. Um, I, uh, the only, uh, uh, the only person who I, um, I thought Danny Jr. phoned in the last one. Yeah. So expect, I was expecting that again. Uh, the, the if anything kept, made me kind of half want to watch uh, the Captain America films because I didn't really know that backstory having not seen those films I didn't care about uh, Thor after having seen the Avengers still don't um, so that was the only sort of like um, uh, thing it didn't do anything for me I wasn't particularly uh, interested in seeing it but it's the biggest film out this weekend it's, it's dominating the release schedule so it was an easy, easy uh, one to get to get to see. Yeah, I'd say dominating the release schedule for the worse, and 
This is a, I, this is a big. We can talk all day, all night about this, but it's like I don't like superhero films. Not ne- not necessarily opposed to them um, in general, but it's the trend lately has been to make big superhero films at the expense of medium level films, um, and it's dominating the marketplace and it's pandering to comic book fans rather than attempting to create something genuinely artistic. Oh yeah, well that's because Marvel now is a studio in its own right, and uh, they're doing the films, and they're doing the films in the way that uh, reflects their uh, brand. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's, for me, it's no longer artistry, the way I see it, and... um, I didn't want to give any money to uh, this film or this no. franchise. Mm. but And the first one was okay, but very overrated. Mm. And overlong. And, yeah, oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, Stonehurst Asylum? I knew this was Brad Anderson, who did The Machinist, which I hated. Mm. But he also did Session 9, which was really interesting. Um, so he's kind of mainly a horror film director. Um, yeah. So, he was a plus. Um, I knew that Kate Beckettale was in it. I don't think, apart from The Last Days of Disco, which is really good, mm. I don't think I've seen a Kate Beckettale film. Did you not see Van Helsing? Nope. Did you see... Uh, she's not in that much. Like, Pearl Harbor? No. I've not oh, seen right. Underworld. Hmm. I've not seen nothing Click. but the truth. I've not seen Click. <laughs> I haven't seen Click. <laughs> Apparently, um, uh, when they were filming Click, uh, Sandler just spent uh, the time in his trailer watching uh, Porridge because her dad was in it. <laughs> but that's a, I think that's a really cool touch, actually, because I mean, he's a comedy guy, so obviously he's, uh, he, he wants to be funny and interested God, in, in, that, in that sort of thing. Dad. But yeah, exactly. So I, I find I find that actually quite um, endearing, cool. cool and endearing that he that he'd do that because like she someone would have told him. She probably told him. Actually. Speaking of Sandler, have you heard what's happened with his new film? Uh, what uh, Get Hard? No. Um, no. Basically, he's making this. That's feral. I know. Yeah, he's making <laughs> this comedy about um, Native Americans. And the Native American actors have walked off the set because it's offensive. Yeah, brilliant. And it's it's got um, characters, something, one of the characters is called Nobra, for instance, one of the Native American women. Um, And um, one of the scenes has got a woman um, smoking a a peace pipe while urinating. Right, so they think it's literally pissing all over their culture. Pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, where was I? Yeah, Kate Beckinsale. Um, mm. Was she in The Aviator? She was. She was Ava Gardner in The Avi- Aviator. I did see her in that. Yeah, she was. Unfortunately, we all saw her in that. <laughs> Good God. Marty, what were you thinking? <laughs> um... Yeah, I I, mean, I like horror films. Uh, I thought that this looked promising, so I watched it. Cool. Uh, the Falling, 
I'd seen the trailer for this actually before you uh, mentioned it last week, and so uh, yeah, when you said when you said it was a documentary, I didn't uh, twig. It, it's um, not. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not. It's yeah. not. Um, she did a I, documentary before that film. That's why I right. thought it was. Okay. Um, so I'd seen the trailer for this, and I thought this was. I was really excited for this because it looked like uh, going back to Gaspar Knight, no way, his girlfriend's film, uh, Innocence from 2004, with which Marion Cotillard's in, uh, in a small role. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also, and that film reminded me of Celine Sciamma, and uh, there's quite a few films that have that sort of uh, eerie, mysterious, uh, early teenage sexual coming of age type uh, vibe to it. Virgin uh, Suicides? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. And um, so uh, I was getting a vibe of that, and those films are really good. Not, and a sort of lesser example of it would be something like Cracks, which I don't think has quite the atmosphere or the, the just the eeriness of it all. Yeah. Um, so it, uh, potentially it looked really good uh, t- uh, to me. Um, and I don't think I've seen a British one with tackling this sort, tackling that sort of thing before. So I was very, very hopeful uh, going in. Okay. Having seen the trailer since last week, mm-hmm. um, I was getting a Ginger and Rosa vibe. Okay. Um, I was getting a... I want to say lesbian? Not lesbian, mm-hmm. but... I, maybe, Sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I haven't seen the documentary the woman did before this. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't see it because it... <laughs> it cost 16 quid. It would have cost 16 pounds, and... It would have been quite out of my way. And it's mm. a bit. Anyway, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Yeah. Um, the Good Lie. This uh, my preconceptions about this was it stars Reese Witherspoon, mm. and that's all I needed. Yeah. <laughs> um, it. I knew that she played a hum- humanitarian. Well, it looked like she played a humanitarian aid worker. Anyway, in the poster, um, so. I was expecting it to be kind of cheesy, maybe, but mm. because she was in it, I thought she might help to elevate it. Mm. Okay. Right, so, Avengers, Age of Ultron. Oh, joy, I've got to summarise the plot. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, Avengers, Age of Ultron, begins, just dropped into the middle of some sort of, like, siege type thing where they're going after something which might be useful to them uh, and after about 10 or 15 minutes of this Drek uh, goes Avengers <laughs> in, <laughs> in the most Star Trek into darkness underwhelming kind of ways <laughs> and uh, so then it turns out that uh, they're all like paranoid that baddies are going to come so they try to put together Peacekeeping program, which uh, Tony Stark slash Iron Man slash Robert Downey Jr., who doesn't at all walk out of interviews, uh, kind of. Ooh. <laughs> we didn't do the pestered about his drug habit, which is pretty much common knowledge, let's and be fi- honest. And 15 years old, I mean, come on. Mm. 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 So, which he's created, and uh, it all goes a bit Pete Tong when said peacekeeping. Uh, program decides that in order to uh, keep peace on earth he has to kill everybody on it 
and destroy the Avengers. Who's this? Who does this? Uh, it's a peacekeeping program called Ultron, who's voiced by James Spader. And James Spader is the villain? He's the villain of the piece, yes. Okay, good villain. He makes a good villain. It's a shame he's not really on screen, it's just a robot. <laughs> <laughs> is he like a HAL, or is he a proper... Oh, no, they, megalomaniac? No, 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 they're going for camp on this. Okay. They, they're going for funny. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, where to begin... <laughs> Let's begin with Elizabeth Olsen because um, she's the new addition. Yes, and Aaron Taylor Johnson. It's like they just saw uh, Godzilla and thought, "Yeah, we'll cast them." <laughs> Probably casting them as brother and sister in the most Shailene of ways. <laughs> <laughs> Shailene's been everyone's sister. <laughs> um, but Elizabeth Olsen. I saw her on the Graham Not Show. And she's so American, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but she was saying the clips... She's got mind control powers or something, hasn't she? Yeah, basically. And she has, like, crystal balls or something. She just... Well, well it's very wishy-washy. I don't know what it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> she handles balls. <laughs> she throws them at many men. Um, does she have a character worth caring about? No, nobody does. And that's the problem with the film. Uh, it's uh, It stems from pretty much like the second Iron Man film onwards. If you don't care about the uh, uh, person inside the suit, then you're just watching two uh, pieces of metal punching each other. And that in and of itself isn't entertaining. Uh, with this, they try to do a love story between uh, Scott Hansen and Mark Ruffalo. It's just poor. It's just, oh, it's a surface level. It's it just relies on other people, other characters saying, "Oh, isn't there a thing going on?" Rather than any genuine chemistry being or any uh, nuance to the relationship um, developing. And it's just cheese the whole way through. It's just there are just cheesy lines the whole way through. It's just poor screenplay. Um, and then when you uh, have people. Uh, when you waste good actors and have poor ones in there too, it's just you. You're still not, you just you can't win. You're not at all talking about Aaron Taylor Johnson, are you? Well, <laughs> what's going on yeah. with his hair, by the way? Well, is that a wig? Yeah, or it could be a dye job. I don't know. Mm. But um, yeah, it, this it's it's not as. In some ways, it's not as bad as the Avengers, the flaws of the first Avengers film, because that just had a mass. That was like Transformers, uh, to just let's just have a forty-five minute battle sequence at the end, which is just incredibly dull and boring. Yeah. With this, there's less of that because it isn't just like, um, in it, the action sequences are are spread out and they do try and do stuff in between, uh, uh, but. So that is better than the first one, but the second, it does with the, with, the, with the first one. It took so long to get going, and because they had to introduce all the characters and do all the exposition, and then you had like a decent uh, third of the film, and then they just ushered in the finale, which was far too long. With this one, it treads water for a lot for a long time, um, so it doesn't have the uh, 
balance of the film being obscure with towards the end. But when it is treading water, it is just treading water. And it, uh, in, in between the action set pieces which are coming out. And the plot is just convoluted for the sake of it. And uh, the characterization is way thin for the most part. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen played like these brother and well, they brother and sister. I don't even care. Yeah, <laughs> brother and sister <laughs> who um, uh, start off as baddies and then turn up as end up as goodies, and it's just it's just not not believably done in the slightest. Um, special effects are quite good, I suppose. Okay, if you like, if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> but it's. Uh, the 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 script is incredibly clunky, and it, 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 that's the bulk of the film's problems stem from the page. This has been getting good reviews, I think. Well, the first one did, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you would expect the second one to get less good reviews. Maybe, um, but the thing is, I mean, uh, what I would seventy four percent. So it is they are worse this time around. What I, what I would say is, if you like the first one, you'll probably like the second one. If that's it, they're, they're, if, if, if there's nothing new here. They're not, they're not going to deviate too far away from. Uh, they're going to because this is the thing. They assume that you care for and like the characters because you've been reading them since you were five years old because you're a geek, or that you've seen the films because you're a film geek and. But you've got to be a film geek that only likes American um, commercial films. <laughs> um, so, if you're not one of those, if you if you're not just someone who likes commercial American films, and that's pretty much it, or um, someone who's got a massive investment in the characters from an early age due to the source material, yeah, which, which are comic books, not graphic novels. Stop with the pretension. <laughs> then, <laughs> then. Uh, there's very little on show here to get uh, emotionally involved with. Okay. So, all of these people who are just going for the sake of going are not going to be exactly fulfilled by this? Or will they? Well, I don't know. I mean, I suppose it depends what you're after. I mean, if you, it does what it says on the tin. It, it is a special effects driven film. Um, if you've seen the others, then you'll be at least in tune with the characters but um, I don't know I just I found very little on offer really as a, as a taking this as, as even a piece of entertainment let alone a serious film okay great it's a two star film I do think it did think it was below average in for the genre I'll be nice to give it four out of ten okay right I'm so glad I didn't see it Okay, um, Stonehurst Asylum. This is a film by Brad Anderson. Uh, it's based on a short story by Edgar Allan Poe, mm-hmm. which was called Eliza Graves. And it is about a trainee doctor who is played by Jim Sturgis, All right. who specialises in mental illness. He's sort of like, I would say trainee, but he's like resident, you know, mm. in ER. Mm. <laughs> He's the Mackay Pfeiffer of the uh, of the joint, um, and he's basically he's written to this asylum, Stonehurst Asylum, where he hopes to learn more about the craft um, treating men- mental illness. He arrives there one snowy Christmas and meets Ben Kingsley, who is the head of the asylum. 
and typecast again. <laughs> wasn't he? Wasn't he in Shutter Island? Yeah, he was the head of the asylum in, in Shutter yeah, Island. There's, de- there's definite parallels. Yeah, um, he's very good in that. Yeah, uh, Eliza Graves, who is Kate Beckinsale, who is kind of, I would say, matron. Yeah. Uh, at the she can never, she can never be matronly. <laughs> well, no. Um, however, there are dodgier characters. One night, Jim Sturgis ventures out of the asylum and stumbles upon a dudge dungeon or crypt of some description where many people are being held captive. They inform him that they are the rightful staff of the asylum and that Ben Kingsley is a patient who has led a revolt and poisoned everyone's tea with anaesthetic and therefore allowed all of the patients at the asylum to take over the running. Um, yeah, and mm-hmm. nobody's any the wiser on the outside world. Right. So, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm. And it is really, really watchable. Um, and it's like, it's not exactly chaos at first. So when you go, when you Ben Kingsley's introduced, it may as well be Shutter Island. You know, yeah. you can't tell that he's mad or anything. Mm. Um, and even when Sturgis finds out, there's a there's an interesting dilemma there because although the people who are in charge of the asylum are unqualified, Michael Kane, who is the head, the former head of the asylum, who's locked away. Mm. has had this very, like, Victorian attitude towards mental illness. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, advocated, like, electroshock therapy and, you know, proper physical therapy. Whereas Ben Kingsley's saying, you know, let's not be gung-ho, let's mm. do counselling, you know, let's try and talk people through the problems. And that's having a positive effect in some way. Mm. So while Sturgis is like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing's ever happened... He's also like, well, actually, they're doing progressive things that I might do in the same position. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting that he does, you know, there's not really a question that he wants to raise the alarm, but there's room for debate there. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that, that he's got that to consider. Um, there's some good acting all around. Sturgis, Kingsley, Beckinsale, really good. Incredibly mm-hmm. enjoyable, the whole thing. It's campy but it's really kind of tongue-in-cheek humor you know you've got um michael Caine's going on about chronic masturbation how it needs to be stopped and ben kingsley says to him i've never seen the harm in chronic masturbation (laughs) so you've got these like really weird scenes um and it's not exactly a new story because it's like so, you know, someone wandering into somewhere and realising that things aren't quite right. Mm. You know, it's kind of a predictable situation, Dracula, etc. Mm. Um, but it does it in an interesting way. And it's kind of, you know, even though it's been done to death, this is like a story from the 1800s. Mm. So it's kind of all right that this is... De- it's not exactly derivative if it's Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Um, but um, it does a the thing that's problem is 
main problem for me is that there's a twist at the end, which right. is there for. It's sort of like the. Isn't the one in The Machinist? There is, isn't there? Yeah. It's really, really bad. It's like there's a twist here. I wouldn't say it's terrible, but it feels a bit unnecessary. You know, because it had already done the conclusion, then it added this twist, and it just felt to me as if it was doing it for the sake of it, sort of in the saw mould. Um, but it would be interesting to watch it again and see whether the twist enhances the rest of the film, because that's really the test of it. If you watch it again and you think, okay, well, this is worth it, you go through and you think, oh, I didn't notice that glance there, you know, yeah. that little plot um, mechanic, you know, mechanism that, you know, wouldn't that exist. something or whatever. Yeah. It works on two, or works on two levels. Yeah. So it would be interesting to go through that, and I definitely think the romance um, between Sturgis and Beckinsale might enhance mm. when you know... Uh, what well, the twist is. Yeah. Yeah, because it feels a bit random and a bit impulsive at the time, but when you consider, you know, other things that are going on with the characters, in retrospect, it might work better. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, yeah, I know you like Shutter Island, hmm. but I didn't. Yeah. So for me, this is better than Shutter Island, mm-hmm. um, and a little bit less frantic, for lack mm. of a better word, like, because. I mean, Shutter Island... There are no foghorns going... <coughs> yeah. The, yeah. And there's... I mean, there's no terrible visual effects either. Some of the visual the effects, cliffs. my God. And the, the, the sea, even. Yeah, well... That's when you get into the whole argument of it's supposed to be like that because of the mental state. Mm. <laughs> Which is crap. You're it's not like Terry that, Gilliam, Marty. That's like it's like saying that um, the writing of Atonement can be poor because uh, of what the twist at the end. <laughs> <Cause>... <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> why did uh, just why did I just non-spoiler film that's nine years old? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't deserve me giving it such respect. It's good. <laughs> You, di- you didn't hate it. I no, I didn't you. hate it. No, I thought it was decent. Um, yeah, it's, but it's like, obviously there's things about Shutter Island we got about Patricia Clarkson. You know, just a really good scene in Shutter Awesome. Um, awesome. I think that's what I might I win, th- actually. Leo's, Leo's actually pretty good in Shutter Island. Oh, no, I think she was my win. Was that the same year as Hereafter? Bryce Dallas Howard is great in that. I don't think we've ever given a shout-out to that film, ever. Is that the same year? I don't know. It might be. Like 2011, something like that. Mm, I have never seen Hereafter because it's at Clint mm. Eastwood. Is it good? It's, it's not that bad. It's, it's, it's alright, yeah. I, I quite enjoyed it. Is it to do with premonitions and stuff? It's to do with... Um, uh, is it premonitions or is it... I think it's to do with... Um, no, it's to do with um, uh, psychics. Uh, the, the Beyond... Mm. I really liked Bryce Dallas Howard in The Village, even though I didn't like that film. Yeah, she's good. She's very good in Mandela as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think this is better than Shutter Island, but it's a different kettle of fish, you know. It's doesn't take itself as seriously, which helps with this kind of film. Mm. Um, and it's a really fun 
gothic thriller. Not really horror thriller, more like mm. Shutter Island. Mm. Uh, B minus. I thought you were going to say that. The Falling, I, I don't really know how much of this to reveal. Because exactly a third of the way into through the film, there's a, a plot twist. Well, there's an, it's 90 minutes, so I'd say that's fair enough. Half an oh, hour. Okay, right. Um, if, but fair warning, if you don't want to hear this plot twist, yeah, fast forward um, a minute. Well, yeah. Uh, so basically what happens is uh, we see a couple of teenage uh, schoolgirls, uh, Lydia and Abby. Uh, they are... Uh, it's, in, it's set in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, it follows uh, two uh, friends, Lydia and Abby, uh, the latter of whom is busy having sex while the other one isn't. Uh, turns out she think, thinks that she might be pregnant. And while she's doing lots of uh, uh, sluttish things, like um, sleeping with uh, Lydia's brother out of the blue, um, she suddenly starts to have some uh, physical ailments. She starts throwing up everywhere, she starts fainting every now and again, she starts fitting. After one of the fits, this is what happens about half an hour into the film, so if, uh, if you don't want to listen, uh, fast forward, I'll try not to mention it too much after the next couple of minutes. Uh, Abby dies, and uh, what is uh, all the girls in the aftermath start having uh, fainting fits themselves. And uh, it looks at uh, that as the sort of like mystery as to what's going on, as to whether it is just all the girls pl- uh, trying, for te- trying to get attention or if something else might be happening. So it's the Crucible. So it's the Crucible. Uh, kind of. Kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of. Uh, and uh, what I think uh, with this film is it could be good if it was made by someone else. Now I've um, I have seen Dreams of a Life. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, it's it's the it's the woman is who it did Dreams of a Life, and I, it, it is good and it's a ridiculous yeah, true story. Yeah, absolutely noticed, ridiculous yeah. true story. But the problem with this film is that it's quite. Um, I think you were mentioning something like this: uh, the incoherent visuals, uh, where like suddenly after like twenty minutes, you'll have a random close camera panel. We'll suddenly have a crane shot out of nowhere. That was like if, the uh, seventh one. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's clunky uh, visually, and uh, it doesn't really. Unfortunately for me, it doesn't have the atmosphere. It tries to do it. It yeah. tries to get it, but it falls short. And it fall it falls short in terms of getting across that sort of uh, magnetic, eerie. Um, uh, Teenage girl sexuality. It also, uh, also just to shout out a film which I don't even know if it's available on DVD, but uh, we did it on the podcast uh, and I liked it quite a bit. But in the dark half, that had atmosphere. You could, I literally at one point it was so creepy. I actually turned to look down <laughs> my row to see if somebody else was there because <laughs> I was just, it was just like you, you could literally cut the atmosphere in that film with a knife. Um, I really think that's the sort of injection that this film would need to make it really interesting or you get a vibe uh, just the whole vibe you can go you can go the eerie vibe with all these girls like what's going on uh you can go on the coming of age vibe and none of this really hits and that's the problem with the film uh is, that's one of the problems is it uh, too try this. hard do you think or is it why does it not why does I just it think not the, I that, think that balance that i think the con i think a the content isn't there uh, it should be Requiem, 
really, in terms of content. Oh, what a film, by the way. It's increasing, it's getting worse, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. What a film and what a performance. But you don't have the performances. If you just don't have performances and the story isn't strong and the atmosphere fails, then that, that, then you're, that, the, it, you're not succeeding really on, on any front. And I don't think there's a particularly good performance anywhere on show, really. Well, I think, uh, you couldn't do any better than Sandra Huller, let's be honest. No, well, no. no, no. And I think the problem here is that there's the, the main girl, she's very, very, very mannered. She's got this sort of like when she's like, you're not sure if, if all the girls are putting it on or not. And uh, when she goes into her weirdness, she sort of like uh, half like winks her eye. And it just, it doesn't look natural. It just looks put on. And uh, that doesn't help the, uh, it doesn't help the ambiguity. The ambiguity of what they're trying to do when uh, you're being distracted by the actress acting. Yeah. Mm. I mean, really, who should have made this? There's a lot of people who could have made this. You could have had Celine uh, uh, Shiama. She'd have focused on the uh, the, the girls. Uh, you could have had Peter Strickland. He'd focus on the period. Because yeah. it, tr- it does try to look like a, 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 a 70s type um, film. And I think there are, there are a lot of um, similarities with the Duke of Burgundy, actually, uh, visually. But Duke of Burgundy is just way better. Way better because that, that looked bloody great. I mean, you've got Sophia Coppola. Um, mm. Mm. We could have done this Sally Potter who did Ginger and Rosa. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, even Trax was better than this. I mean, Trax looked gorgeous, and I'm not talking about Eva Green. You mean? Yeah, Cracks, Yeah, sorry, Cracks. Yeah, e- e- uh, Eva Green <laughs> trolling along the desert. <laughs> yeah, she'd have made it work. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's. So it's I guess the problem is because it doesn't resolve the storylines uh, in a satisfactory manner, uh, because it sort of meanders along, because it it gets into some really really questionable uh, subject matter in terms of like it hints at a, a potential incestuous relationship between mm. a brother and sister and tries to go there on multiple occasions. It doesn't fit. I mean, and you can do that if if you're. It just feels tacked on and trashy. Uh, it, it doesn't feel real and um, uh, it doesn't get across the tragedy of the situation these characters find themselves in like something like the war zone does um, yeah. so it it just doesn't it just feels like it's uh, a bit of a cheap cheap uh, dramatic device um, so really this just became a total chore and just got more and more depressing the longer it went and um, depressing because it was, wasn't living up to any of the potential because there is potentially, even though the situation isn't as interesting as, as I believe that the filmmakers think it is, I still think that there's a potentially, at least a decent film in there. Mm. But it's, Not made uh, by it's, this. It's undermined at every, at every turn. It's, it's, it's the story itself isn't great and the, the way it's made doesn't help that. Is it, from, is it adapted from a book? I don't think so. Okay. Um, can we get a word for Greta? Because Greta's debut, we talked about her before, but first yeah, Greta I, film on the podcast. I'm, I'm uh, aware. You, uh, uh, Greta Scacchi, I love. <laughs> I love that woman. I really She do. was a model, um, wasn't she? Well, it, before she was an actress. It wouldn't be difficult to imagine that situation <laughs> being true. <laughs> but yeah, Heat and Dust um, uh, she, uh, is a is a really interesting little film that I think people should if uh, you like Motion Diary definitely check it out. 
Um, then she was in more thrillers type things like Defense of the Realm with Gabriel Byrne, mid eighties, I think. Uh, Denham Elliott got BAFTA nominated for that in supporting. Uh, that's nice. why I checked that in the first place. Denham Elliott uh, got a lot of BAFTA nominations yeah, for supporting. <laughs> did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then early nineties, she went to she went to America and she's uh, pre- presumed innocent, and she's in the player. The player. Wow, Browning. She's the uh, good. She probably her best performance I've seen her is in the Browning version, playing Albert Finney's wife. Which can we just shout that out again? Because Albert Finney's great, and I think he won something like Boston Film Critics. What year um, is that? Ninety-four. Also okay. Uh, yeah, he's he's really really good in it, and 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 then she sort of like uh, segued quite uh, early on into sort of like older roles and. Um, she hasn't had a tremendous amount to do, especially from the mid nineties on. Really, I think I've seen her in maybe Marples. You know, she's in TV. she's in Flight Plan. Apparently, she's in Beyond the Sea. If you spot the one thing she is actually good in is TV. Unfortunately, it's Broken Trail uh, with Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, she's very good in that, um, uh, and she has a small role in Bright Heavy Visited as uh, uh, Gam. Is it Gambon playing the um, um, the matriarchal figure? She plays this bit on the side anyway. Um, but yeah, in this she's got a, just a two D character, which it's not real. Well, it's a two D character with a bit of a backstory, so you can say it's a three D character if you want. But she's basically a bitch who uh, has a past, and uh, she, she does the uh, looking on regretfully, or when she's remembering that past, or she's haunted by. It. She does those looks well, but it's just you just sit in the chair and just look bothered, look um, bothered. <laughs> Whereas for the rest of it, she's just very, uh, it's a very uninteresting uh, role, sadly. Um, but uh, yeah, I think with better with better child central performances, this would hit home more. I think with uh, a better atmosphere and a, or a more coherent visual style, this would hit home more. I think with a few tweaks and uh, maybe a more polished narrative, you might find a more satisfactory story. So basically, uh, just change the director, the writer, and the actresses. Everything. This <laughs> thing. But you could change any one of those, and the film would be better. You could change. If, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would. It would have to be a. To be a good film, it would have to be. It would need a complete overhaul. Reset, complete reset <laughs> of the whole project, and yeah, uh, four out of ten again. Actually, that's really kind. But four out of ten, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wolf. Okay. So I'll just be the kind person this week. Mm. <laughs> well, I've been all right. I've been, I've been quite, I've been not too bad for me. Recent, well, yeah, you were the kind person last week. So. And mm. uh, right, the good lie. This is. Um, it's about the civil war in Sudan or um, in the late nineteen eighties. So basically, a group of kids uh, have been orphaned and their village has been burned to the ground by soldiers and they've managed to escape and they embark on an epic trip on foot to Ethiopia from Sudan. So it's uh, the way back? (laughs) No. Back to Jim Sturgis again. Oh yes, of course, yeah. But yeah, Jim Sturgis, who looks better in... Stone has a sign and they did the way yeah. back. <laughs> That's, that doesn't sound like it would be a challenge. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so they start the they go off to Ethiopia, but on the way they meet a group of kids who have come back from Ethiopia and they're like, well, no, there's soldiers there too. Mm. So they join the other kids and go to Kenya. Mm. 
Mm. Um, Is this just about marathon running? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they stumble upon Haile Selassie and yeah. everything works Kip- itself out. Kip Keita. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon is the Haile Selassie of this film. Tunis to Barber, surely. <laughs> <laughs> She's a kicker. <laughs> Watch out for the kick. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah, so a couple of the kids die on the way, but um, the, these five kids reach Kenya and settle in a refugee camp. The film then skips forward 13 years, and the kids are in their early 20s, and they've managed to secure a place on a government-funded placement in Kansas City, Missouri, where Reese Witherspoon awaits, and she is the local officer who is in charge of... charged with turning one of them into the offensive tackle for the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> It's, yeah, um, <laughs> who's trying to get them jobs. Hmm. It's not the blind side. I know where you're going with this, but it's not the blind side. I expected okay. it to be, but it's not. Right. So, it, it, but it is, it's not Witherspoon's story, which is good. Um, for 40 minutes, it's Warwich. Right. I, at I was, the beginning. Yeah. Mm. I mean, R- Reese Witherspoon doesn't enter this till 40 minutes in. Right. And it's the film's about 105. So, it, despite what it sounds like, it never really turns into the blind side, which for me is a good thing. Although we can argue about this. <laughs> I'm not going to argue. <laughs> but it's... It's a, it's a classic of our time, Daniel. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but when it has been that way for so long, when it has been Warwick for 40 minutes... And then you get, then you skip, they're on the plane, fair enough. And then it skips to a scene with Reese with a spoon answering a phone call, because um, she's got to pick them up from the airport, while hopping out of bed with the local guy who runs the Waffle House, um, whilst clutching her black bra. Note to self, learn how to make waffles. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit jarring. It's a bit of a jarring leap, style-wise, to go from... Yeah, to go from... To go from the um, uh, Masai Mara to Agent Provocateur. (laughs) (laughs) That's the podcast title right there. (laughs) It's... But that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it, it, it does manage to overcome that, which is ultra impressive. Ultron impressive. The denier is high, you know. It's like, and there's like some political asides. They arrive in early 2001, which is really lucky for them because after 9-11, this program shut down. Yeah. Because Sudan were um, implicated in funding terrorism and also because they introduced the Patriot Act, which meant they could get rid of anything contentious that they want to get rid of anyway. Ridiculous piece of legislation that was. Yes. Um, I sound like Michael Moore. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so you've got those little asides which are really, you know, not hammered over the uh, head, kind of like they are in The Constant Gardener. 
mm. with Danny Houston. Of course. Um, Actually, he suits that character, though, in that film. Because he's conceited. Because he's sleazy. Yeah. But I don't. I really don't like the sleazy politician thing mm. in that film. But anyway, it's... That comes across as honest. The whole film does come across as pretty honest from all sides and all perspectives. You've got the five people who go to... Um, no, the four people who go to Kansas City. Three of them are guys, and they're together, um, who Reese Witherspoon looks after. Their sister, or one of them's sister, but they've all grown up together, so it's basically their sister, gets carted off to Boston because she's got to be with a family because she's a girl. So they get separated straight away. But it's like each brother, and it follows the brothers from that point on. But each brother is on a different path. One of them wants to become a doctor. You know, one of them's good with the hands. But it realistically details the different ways that they cope with being in the new environment. So it's like the comparison I got from watching it is Million Dollar Arm at first. Yes. I was actually getting a sugar vibe as you were Sugar, about yeah, that's yeah. there too, yeah. Sugar, great film as well, mm. Undimensioned. Um, it's Ryan Fleck, isn't it? Yeah, right, yeah. Oh, Half Nelson as well. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> but that didn't, I mean, it was okay, but it didn't really address the extremity of the lifestyle change they were undergoing, you know? Mm. It was, you know... You, here you really get the potential impact and the fact that they've got to go into the working world completely estranged from the culture. Um, mm. And you get a much better idea. And they treat it in different ways. They adapt to it in better ways than some of the others do. you know. Mm. And the actors are really good in general. Um, and it's not amateur actors. It's right. the actors have been in a lot of TV work in America, you know. Um, they've got quite established CVs, which is interesting, because I wouldn't have thought that. But that's yeah. not because they don't come across as good actors. It's because they come, because they come across as authentic. As people. Yeah. yeah. So, and then you've got these peripheral characters like Corey Stoll. Like Bell. I would wolf whistle at this point <laughs> after Corey Stoll, but I can't wolf whistle. Mm. Late Bell, yeah. Late Bell would have been welcome, but she's not in this. Sarah Baker, um, shout out as well. So you get these kind of peripheral people who are on the side of Reese Witherspoon who work in welfare, um, who come across as really fully fleshed out human beings, even though they only get a couple of scenes. Yeah. You know, and it, that's really important in this kind of film t- to stop it from feeling too written. Mm. Um and you never really get the, the um, impression that it's yanking on the heartstrings too much, which is good. Mm. And it's got some comedy. It's like Million Dollar Arm had comedy too, but this is better. So you get like small things like when the kids, you get half comedy, but half wry resignation, like where they see a white person at the refugee camp. And one of them's like, why are they without colour? And the other one's like, it's not their fault they were born without skin. So it's like a little naive. That's quite naive, but it's naive in the way that makes you think. Mm. Um, also, when they're separate from the sister. We're not ending on Eminem, by the way. You're all acting like you've never seen a white person before. <laughs> what song's that? I think it's, it's real Slim Shady. Oh, okay. Uh, we're not. 
Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. But not. But not. Okay. Um, also, when they talk to the sister on the telephone... to Masai Mara, we're ending on Africa, Toto. <laughs> let's do rocking, it, let's do it. Rocking the Toto. <laughs> Um, we've got loads we've got Desert Rose by Sting we can do anything anything Africa related anything lingerie related that's (laughs) Um, yeah so they talk to the sister on the telephone in Boston and the they've got her on speakerphone and above the speaker they've got like her picture (laughs) so it's like they're giving it like a more face to face feel because they don't know telephones, and it's like, oh, they just stick a picture up, so it's like they're talking to her, mm. which is kind of cute. And then when they arrive at the airport in Kansas City, they um, it's just this terminal, because they're left waiting for Reese Witherspoon in the terminal, and everyone's gone, and they're alone. And then there's just this motorised wheelchair just zooms past them, and they just all follow it. And it's just like a deadpan brilliance uh brilliant example of deadpan humour. So there's just like little things like that um, that really make it better than Million Dollar Arm. I mean, it's still a little bit um, uneven. Huh? Cheese? A a tad cheese, a little bit uneven with the way that it starts off and then um, has an hour of Reese Witherspoon's with a kind of relationship issues. Although not really issues, you know, it does. It's not the blind side, but it does touch on them a tad. Yeah. Um, but it's still a good film and worth checking out. So it's a B. Okay, good stuff. Right, uh, Shag Mary Kill then. Shag Mary Kill. Um, right. Are we not doing retro? No, no, no. Okay. Um, of yours, I would uh, probably shag uh, Stoneless Asylum. That sounded interesting. Uh, I would kill the Avengers. No, yeah, I'd kill the Avengers because it doesn't have a reason to exist. It does have a reason. It would exist to make a lot of money. Uh, but so I think that deserves to die more than uh, the Fallen, which at least tried to do something even if it failed on every conceivable level. <laughs> even though <laughs> so I just ama- slagged it off worse than the so Avengers. Amazingly, I'm marrying uh, the Fallen. Wow. Is she sure don't want to well. marry Reese. It's shorter by about 40 minutes as well. <laughs> That's always a bonus. Mm. Um, I would definitely shag... Stop. Oh, wait, hold on. I've got to shag one of yours. Yeah. I would shag The Falling. Just so, yeah, because you'd probably like it. I'd probably like it. Um, I would... Oh, I don't want to kill any of mine. Mm. Okay, I'm going to marry... That's the point of the segment. I'm going to marry... By, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> FYI. Yeah. Um, I'm going to marry The Good Lie because it's a better film, just mm-hmm. plain and simply. And I'm going to kill Stoneless Asylum because it's you not as to. good a film, even though it's entertaining. Mm. All right, position. Mm. Mm. Right, The Avengers. Oh, God, here we go. Okay, Scarlet, obviously yes. If, uh, mm. Yeah, no, she didn't have the haircut change in that, did she? No, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, say do. Oh, even though brunette should work. 
they don't make her look great. And uh, the woman from All About My Mother or How I Met Her or whatever. Uh... How I hold on. There's a big. There's a big difference there between those two. <laughs> One significantly. Good. How I Met Your Mother. The brunette from How I Met Your Mother. Um, yeah, probably. Um, the falling. No, there's no one. They're either um, uh, fifty or fifteen. Um, so, uh, position is a second silver. Okay. Um, I haven't even thought about this. Garrett. Garrett, the Garrett Gage. Um, we're going to. Would Chris Evans have been a yes? Well, we can't count them, but Chris Evans probably not without That's a beard. Right. Ah. Um, yeah. and, and Hemsworth no. might have been. It depends. Mm. Tends, mm. Depends on my mood. Mm. Um, Stonehurst Asylum Jim Sturgis is no, but perfectly lovely. Yeah, he's not your. He's more Irini than uh, Reed. <laughs> <laughs> He's more Marco Giannacchi. <laughs> yeah, Marco Giannacchi. Um, in his in his appeal. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other people who are in the film. I don't think there is anyone else in the film mm. worthy of note. Mm. Um, the Falling. Was there any anybody in The Falling? There was a young lad called Joe Cole, hilariously. That's, that's actually, a no. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, but that's about it. Not really, nobody really anyone else. The Good Lie, Mr. Waffle is a no. Really? And, and You'd think he'd be, yes. <laughs> and then um, Reese's um, protégés are a no, too. Mm. Um, so it's gauge of 1.0. I feel like I'm being way... Brutal. I feel like I'm being way kinder You've to mine than you, yeah. you are to yours. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Also, it doesn't help that I saw Lizzie Olsen on um, Graham Norton reminding me how um, American she is. But she's, <laughs> she was also drinking white wine and being quite fun. Yeah, I only saw bits. I was only allowed to see bits. <laughs> God, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Um, so, next week... Mm. We have speaking of bits, Matthias Schoenarts <laughs> again in Far from the Madding Crowd with Kerry oh. Mulligan. It's getting great more... reviews. Really? Yeah. Although Seriously? it is Thomas Vinterberg. Well, I don't mind that as much as it's a Thomas Hardy story and it's starring Kerry Mulligan. Mm. Um mm. I might see it. It might depend how long it is. It could be a bright star situation where it just looks like a train wreck for me on paper, but it could end up being good. The trailer isn't good. I hope they don't use the music from the trailer in the film. The On the opposite end of the spectrum, we have Unfriended. I've just seen that. Now, what, the trailer? No, that it's on. I'm going to see it. Hmm. I'm wary... <laughs> but I'm mm-hmm. going to see it. it. The reviews are all right. Um, I don't know. I'm just. Mm, what do you think? Um, doesn't sound like the greatest idea, frankly. I don't think it's. I don't think there's any comedy in it. 
We also have Elsa and Fred, which is a um, romance between Shirley MacLaine and Christopher Plummer. That could work. Directed by the guy who did Il Postino. Interesting. That's interesting. That's available. And aside from that, there isn't much. So we could either catch up on stuff. We can go retro. Mm. Um, we could do red light. Whatever. Mm. We'll try and find something to watch. <laughs> it's like <laughs> two films. That'll do me. Yeah. Ida's out. We can review that for the fourth time. <laughs> Do you have a jam? Um, do I have a jam? I do. Do you want to think of one while I give mine? I'll try. Oh, okay. Right. Mine is called Malibu. Well, the artist is Malibu and Helen. Mm. They're in a classy duo. Mm. And um, they've done a song called Figure Eight, mm. which is about their... Um, Shapely figures, of course, and it's um, it's very good. Yeah, I'm drawing black here. Okay, fine. All right. So next week we will be watching um, stuff. Carrie, sheer sheep. Apparently. Not to me
Yeah.